0: Illustrating what the believer today is up against, here's Pastor Ed Taylor.
1: You can find a magazine today entitled, Me Magazine. What a great magazine that must be. I guess you self-publish it, you know, it's all about me. But our media really reveals a self-centeredness that this world fuels. That's why the Bible tells us not to love this world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. And it's a battle. Selfishness, self-centeredness, self-righteousness. This is a
0: messing grace. This is a failure. Are competing voices for our attention. But which one will capture it? Will it be the Lord's voice or the voice of the world? It's an increasing concern for us as believers. But we'll get some timely encouragement on today's abounding grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll find that as we continue in Romans. Join us in chapter 15.
1: Jesus said that we are in this world, we're not of this world. He sends us into the world. But the problem about being in the world is that I think sometimes we don't even realize how much the world has influenced our thinking. Where we're not really thinking through with a biblical worldview, but rather we're thinking through things with a worldly worldview. We've just picked things up in the world. And if we're not careful, we pick some habits up in the world, we might sprinkle a few Bible verses on it and call it Christian. And it's not. I mean, we live in a world where commercials actually tell us what we want. Have you noticed? You didn't really want it until the commercial said, you're not complete without it. And you're like, maybe I'm not complete. We live in a society that, well, commercials tell us who to vote for, what propositions are right. I mean, really, just 30, 60 seconds really is not enough information to make a good decision. But that's the kind of world we live in, pop culture, In praying over this message, I was very attentive recently when I went into Safeway and King Supers at the magazine racks. Because magazines, the magazine covers tell us how we should look. Primarily to you ladies, but there are some popular men's magazines as well, to tell us how we should look, how our spouses should look, what kind of person we should look for. I mean, there are magazines, the ones that I could look at, telling me all about how I could lose weight what kind of sex life I should have, what I should have, how should I should drive, all sorts of things. But let me tell you, those magazines lie. Did you know that there's a computer program out there called Photoshop? With Photoshop, any one of us could be on a magazine cover. They're all lies. We live in a society where corporations will tell you whether you're valuable or not. I mean, if you're employed and you're doing well at a corporation, the message says, hey, things are great, you're wonderful, we love you, until a layoff comes. And then a subtle message is, you know, you're not needed anymore. But, you know, your value is not determined by another person or a corporation or whether you're employed or not. Your value is rooted in the love of God sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. The greatest value that can be placed on a human being has been placed on you. And by faith in Jesus Christ, today you can have your sins forgiven. You can come into a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Acknowledge your sin before a holy and a righteous God and repent from it and receive Jesus as your Savior to receive the forgiveness of your sins. You see, this world has a lot of messages. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll begin to buy into it and live our life according to the world system. Back in the Garden of Eden, there was a horrible decision made by Adam and Eve. They decided to disobey God and they committed sin. That one sin plunged Adam and Eve and all humanity after them into a self-centered, self-righteous lifestyle. Do you know that the world system loves to fuel that selfishness in your life? We live in a world where self is the number one the number one attention getter in our lives. For instance, if you ask somebody, you ask somebody, who are the three most important people on the planet? You know what they might answer? Me, myself, and you. No, no, it's not you. It's I, isn't it? I mean, you hear somebody say in tough times, you know what, I'm looking out for number one. Oh, who just happens to be number one? Them. Selfishness. This world fuels Selfishness. Another trip back to the magazine rack would show how our culture has progressed. It wasn't too many years ago where the popular magazine on the rack was Life magazine, remember? It was a great magazine giving stories and pictures of life, how people live their lives. You fast forward a few years and Life magazine, the popularity was replaced with a magazine entitled People. People was all about people now. Not necessarily life in general, but people. And really, People Magazine, the gossip rag that it is, is really just gossiping and slandering about people. From People Magazine, you fast forward a few years, and now we have a magazine on the racks titled Self. Self Magazine. Oh, that's a little bit more comfortable. What about myself? What can I learn about myself? What is it about me? Self Magazine. Now, I heard this illustration many years ago, and I shared it back then. So now that I'm using it again, I went on and I Googled some common magazines. And you know what? Not only is there life, people, and self, do you know you can find a magazine today entitled Me Magazine? What a great magazine that must be. I guess you self-publish it. You know, it's all about me. Me. But the progression in even our media really reveals a self centeredness that this world fuels. That's why the Bible tells us not to love this world, John says. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. And it's a battle selfishness, self centeredness, self righteousness. Can I just pause here and say this? If you're in the midst of a marital difficulty, if just one of you would yield, things would get better. Just one of you would yield. Now, some of you are thinking, some of you automatically started to think, some of you are feeling right now, are you kidding me? I'm not going to yield. That's not me. Are you serious? You're the one that needs to yield. It's you. If just one of you would soften your heart toward the Lord with your spouse, with your kids, with your family, with your coworkers, you give God something to work with. Oh, I know it's tough and it's difficult. I realize that. But if just one of you would get off the throne of self, God would begin to work. God would begin to restore. God would have something to work with. You see, living in the world, playing in the world as we do, working, living, playing, I mean, we're in the world, the danger is to become of the world, where there's no distinction between you and someone else that doesn't love Jesus. See, you love Jesus. You live for Jesus. But the world has a way of taking off your edge and your zeal from that love of Jesus. And now many believers look just like the world. You wouldn't be able to tell. I mean, it would be a sad thing. Maybe at some company function, you decide, you know, can we just pray over our meal? And like five people go, dude, you're a Christian? I didn't know that. I'm like, oh, I wonder why. It's not just in the world, though. Here's what's happened. This is from a pastor's perspective, just from my observation over the years. Worldliness has changed people's attitude of the church, it's changed people's perception of the church. Because we're saturated with all this selfishness and and we're fed all of these things that make selfishness grow in our hearts, even though the Bible says the world's passing away, people start to come in to the church with a self-centered attitude. I mean, really, the Bible says you're the church. You individual believers, you're the church. So, when we're talking about the gathering here in a room like we are right now on a Sunday or a Saturday or a Wednesday or a home fellowship, whenever the church gathers, the attitude that you should have as you walk through the doors should be something like, God, I'm ready to be used. God, pour your spirit out upon me. God, what is it that you want to do in my life? How do you want to use me? What do you want from me, God? That should be our hearts when we gather together, our living, breathing life of, God, what do you want from me? I'm ready. But our world has shifted that attitude and instead of walking through the doors ready to say, God, what do you want from me? Many people walk through those same doors and you ask the question, what do you have for me? What do you got for me? What's this church have? I'm looking for this, 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 and this and when I find this, this, and this, that's where me and my family go to church. Could it be that the world has influenced you? Could it be that the criteria that you are using really is dismissing the reality that God wants to tell you exactly where he wants you? It's been new to me. I, I really came from a different school of ministry, if you will. Where I came from, our pastor taught us, pray and obey God. And that's what I did, just in his simplicity. God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to serve? And he would speak, and prayerfully in his strength, I would obey. That's how we moved here. I said, go. Go. This is where I want you to go. And I'm going to set it up for you and take care of it. And I want you to go. Way back in the days of the school, many years ago, you know, when I moved out here, I do not know how to plan a church. I didn't know any of those things. I was just told, go to a city, teach the Bible, and love the people. That's what I did. Moved here with our family, made a commitment to teach through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and just started loving on people. It's great. And I remember, I remember seeing the first time People come and go. I didn't know about that. People would come to the church and then they'd they'd leave. They'd come and not come back. And I, I didn't understand the whole dynamics of people looking for churches and all that kind of stuff. But I remember the first time a guy came up with a piece of paper after the service. And he said, Pastor Ed, you did a great job today. Thanks. Oh, man, I'm glad I didn't do a horrible job today. Wonderful. That's great. And he whips out a piece of paper and he says, I was looking for these things in your church. And he had a checklist says, you guys did good here, 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 but not so good here, not so good here, not so good here. We're not coming back. Oh, man, what are you talking about you're not coming back? I didn't even know there was an attitude of bringing out some kind of checklist. You know what he was? He was a church shopper. Because <laughs> that's what the church made him. A connoisseur of Christianity. A consumer. Because that's the kind of world we live in. What do you have for me? What do you have for me, Pastor. What's this church have for my kids? What's this church have for my family? What's this church have? Listen, we don't have anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. How's that? can answer that for you right now. That's it. It doesn't mean we don't love your family. It doesn't mean we don't want to serve your family. It doesn't mean that we aren't going to provide ministry or opportunity. It doesn't mean any of that. But friends, please put a guard up. Don't be a church shopper. Pray. And ask God for wisdom where he wants your family and then obey him. Now I realize even at this point that some of you might be offended. Please don't be offended. I'm not trying to offend you. That's not my heart at all. I'm just telling you from a pastor's perspective, this world has created a new category of Christian. It's the Christian shopper. I'm not speaking to those of you that God has spoken to, that God has maybe brought you here or he might be moving you on. I'm not speaking to that where God is in the midst of it that he's ministering to your family. I'm not talking about that. I encourage you, obey God. That's good. But I am talking about a category of believers that have got into this mindset of shopping around. The problem with that is twofold. One, as you're shopping around, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find churches that have adapted the way they do ministry just for you. There are leaders and pastors that have looked on the landscape and said, Oh my goodness, there are many church shoppers. We better change the way we do church so we can keep them. And so messages from the pulpit have been watered down. Worship services have become concerts. And the church has changed because of this mentality. And you want to be careful. I mean, for your own spiritual health, you want to be careful. I'm pleading with you as a church to remain in that place where you have a biblical worldview, a biblically-centered life and ministry, because the life of this church is not going to change. We are going to do what we were founded on, that is we're going to teach the Word of God, and we're going to love people. And whatever the Lord wants to make out of that, however he wants to use us, we'll be content with that. We'll be okay with it. But the attitude of consumerism brings out in people the attitude coming through. You go, hey, you know what, You know I don't like the worship here. Really? You don't like the worship here? No, I don't like it at all. I don't like the instruments. I don't like the songs. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Okay. Do you think God is pleased with it? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I don't like your children's ministry. All right. Yeah, I don't like it at all. The hallways are too narrow and doors. Well, I don't like it. Do you think God's pleased with it? I don't know, Ed. I've never really thought of it that way. I know you should. Yeah, I don't like the color brown, Ed. It's everywhere. I know it was the best deal we got on paint, man. We put on everything. <laughs> I found a carpet that matched. Do you think God cares about the colors on the walls? I don't like this, and I don't like that. I don't like you, Ed. Whoa, (laughs) I can't help you there. (laughs) I am who I am by the grace of God. But what an attitude to have where the Lord just wants to minister to your heart. I mean, if that's you, if that's you, would you please take it to the Lord in prayer? Would you just pray about it? Just take it away and say, Lord, here's my heart. It's what I'm thinking. It's what the pastor said. Just pray about it. Maybe God will bust you and show you what a waste of time that is. Or maybe God will show you that some of the lack that you see in our ministry, I'll just speak to us as a church, some of the lack that you see or some of the balls that might get dropped or some of the mistakes that we as human beings make, you might be part of the solution to help pick that up. And God's enlisting you in the ministry. Just take it to the Lord in prayer and let him minister to you and take you away from what is this for me and what do you have for me? Instead, just say, Lord, what do you want from me? Because if you're not careful, worldliness will invade you and consume you. And before you know it, you may find yourself in a place of shopping over and over again, never really satisfied. I think back to that gentleman with the list, what he missed out on. God brought him to our fellowship, dropped him into our sanctuary, and what he missed out on. Because it's been a ride for nine years. Not a perfect church. Not a church where we all have everything together and we're just like, you know, cruising along, no speed bumps. No, no, there have been quite a few speed bumps along the way, but there's speed bumps in your life too, right? And God didn't throw you away. There's ups and downs in your life. There's ups and downs in your life. There's going to be ups and downs in a church family's life. There's going to be great heights and great depths. And you're going to have a lot of great times and a lot of difficult times. But the consistency in a healthy, well-balanced fellowship of believers, the consistency is Jesus. And him remaining on the throne of your life and on the throne of our fellowship. And so we're not interested in going the way of the world as a church. You know, a lot of churches will hire out professionals, $10,000, dollars $20,000 to do big demographic studies so they can decide where to place their church building. We don't need any demographic studies. I know who lives in Aurora. I know who lives in the Denver metro area. Lost, messed up people. I don't need to pay anybody to tell me that. I don't care where you go, on your street, on my street, on our neighborhoods, there are people that are lost and dying and going to hell. And we have the answer of hope in their lives. We don't need to go do any polls. And what do you guys, what is it that you would like to see in a church? I want to poll Jesus. Jesus, what do you want to see in your church? I don't want to ever end up like the church in Ephesus. Full of good works, lots of great things going on, but they left their first love. No. No, we just want to stay simple. We want to stay consistent. Simply teaching the word. Simply loving the people, simply serving Jesus. Just simplicity of heart. A long introduction, I know, but painting a picture of what Rome, the church in Rome, was going through here in chapter 15. They're just like you and me, they had their own issues. Except for the church in Rome, they didn't get to go to another church. There wasn't another church in Rome, it's just one before all the divisions and denominationalism and all that stuff, the church in Rome was it. And that's who Paul's writing to when he says in verse 1, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. The strong, he's speaking to the mature. Remember in chapter 14, he talked about the strong and the weak, how they were having difficulties over diets and days, and now he's addressing, okay, you guys that are strong, and we all think we're strong, right? We hear that, we go, I'm strong. Me and Paul, we're the strong ones. Okay, okay, that's fine. If you believe you're strong, you're a strong believer, you're a mature believer, this is for you. It's important that you're patient with the weaker ones. That's what he's saying. That you bear with. You can circle that word, bear. Bear with, that phrase. It literally means to bear up under pressure. That it's going to be difficult. You could also write next to it, persevere. Persevere. Don't quit. Don't quit. But steady on. You're going to get through this. Don't quit on the weaker believers. But be there for them. Notice, so that we don't please ourselves. So different, the message of the gospel, than the message of the world. Don't please yourselves. The world says, please yourself. Don't think too highly of yourselves. What does the world say? Think highly of yourself. And we got this battle in our minds. And the Holy Spirit's saying, no, no, don't please yourself. Don't please yourself. Think of others. Take care of others. Because the Romans, they had strong believers. They had weak believers. And the weaker had a hard time with Christian liberty. The stronger didn't have patience. And they judged hypocritically the weaker. And the weaker began to despise. And there was a lot of junk going on. And it wasn't good. Let me show you what this looks like in action. Look at, just turn the page a couple, turn your Bible a couple pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me show you what this looks like. Paul, he writes to the Romans, but he also lives it out. And so they use strong believers you mature believers, a mark of maturity is that you're patient with the weaker brothers, the new believers, the, those that might not see things the way you do, those that have little differences, those that came from a different background than you, those that are in a different social background, social strata, those that work at a different place, those that have different financial, all the differences that those strong believers, we bear with one another. We're patient with one another. We persevere with one another. And notice verse 19 of chapter 9, it says, For though I am free from all men... I have made myself a servant to all, Paul says, that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law. Not being without law toward God, but under the law toward Christ. So he said, I didn't compromise. I didn't throw away my Christian morals. I just related to them on their level. Now in verse 22 though, notice, to the weak... I became as weak so that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. Paul did it. He was able to adapt his life to his audience to get the message of the gospel into their lives so that he might win them. Just like God is doing with you. He takes you out into the world. You relate to different people with your personality, your upbringing, who you are in the Lord. And in that relational life, you reach a lot of people in the name of Jesus Christ without compromise. It's awesome. So back in Romans, he says, you stronger believers, bear up. Bear up. Persevere. Don't quit. How is that possible? Well, the Bible speaks of God's agape love flowing through your life. That's the solution. God's love. God's love. Love makes room in grace for each other, both strong and weak.
0: God's love makes room for one another. We'll consider more on this next time. In the meantime, we kindly ask that you pray for us, that we might overflow with this kind of love. All of us here at Abounding Grace will be praying to that end for you as well. Pastor Ed Taylor has been in Romans chapter 15 today. We hope you enjoyed the message. If so, you can hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also offer an app, which is another great way to listen to Pastor Ed. Just search for Calvary Aurora. Each month, we pick out a book that we think can really help your walk with the Lord. And here in August, it's The Third Option by Miles McPherson. It's not hard to see that racial tension is high in America today. And maybe you're wondering, is there hope for a racially divided nation? I'm glad to say there is. In The Third Option, Pastor Miles shares what that is and encourages the reader to rise above the issues that divide us and be part of something bigger. You'll also be challenged to fully embrace God's goodness and power. To get a copy of The Third Option for a donation of $25 or more, just call us at 877-30-GRACE. That number again is 877-30-GRACE. And we also want to remind you that we are listener-supported Abounding Grace airs all across the nation on stations like this one. But in order to do this, we look to our listeners to help cover the costs. You can make a secure donation on our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. Just click on Donate. Or if you'd rather call, here's the number, 877-30-GRACE. Join us next time as we study through Romans with Pastor Ed Taylor and learn of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace.